After speaking to Quinn Loftus, it's obvious that she sees her life as nothing short of blessed. With over 30 novels published in the last decade and the title holder as a USA Today bestseller author, Quinn shared with me what she values most that many overlook, her very existence. Listen to this award-winning author share the realities of living with bipolar disorder and how she's opened up with her readers about her previous suicide attempts. Quinn is transparent and hopeful that her life struggles can be used by many to start a conversation about mental health and help them to find the much-needed support. All right, well, welcome today. I have Quinn Loftus here with me. And Quinn, you're an author. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Because I say author, but that's a little bit of an understatement. Tell us some more. Um, okay, so I write young adult fiction, paranormal romance, and I've had the privilege of doing that full time for the last nine years. Um, God has blessed me immensely. I've made the USA Today list. I've sold, I don't know the exact number. I know it's over a million books, but um, yeah, just I'm not anything I ever expected when I wrote book one. So um, 35 novels, working on number 36. And, um, you know, I was a nurse before that, never planned to be an author, wanted to be, but didn't plan it. Yeah. Uh, but God has just completely blessed me. And so it's, um, uh, it's become a family business now. My husband helps run it and does all my editing and marketing. And so it's been an incredible journey to get to do it. So it's a really pretty cool story. Um, we can get into it in a little bit, but I do love this idea behind you're already saying it's not something you plan to do. Because I think there's a lot of people who would say they grew up wanting to be an author, right? For years and years and years. And so I do, I really think that's great though, that, you know, you're like, this is not something that I ever um, planned on doing full time. Um, so why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about your upbringing, where you grew up and really just like your family, um, culturally, how you grew up, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so I was raised in the military. My parents were Air Force, both of them, and we moved every three years, yeah. and we did that in, until I was, I think, 11, I want to say sixth grade, I believe, is when we're, when, yeah, so, um, so my dad was Puerto Rican, okay. and so not only was he military, but he was also of Latino-Spanish background. Yeah, sure. So that in and of it, yeah, that in and of itself was interesting. He was very, very strict. Um, my mother is from Texas and she was military as well. Not quite as strict, but, um, they both had the same kind of mindset. Um, without being, I don't, you know, I don't want to want to be too negative on my family, but I didn't have the most wonderful childhood. I wasn't horrific, but it wasn't great. Um, yeah. didn't, my parents did not have a healthy marriage, so didn't have any idea what, what a healthy relationship looked like. Sure. Um, I thought everybody's family was that way. I thought everyone screamed and yelled at each other. That was just Was it just you and your parents, or do you have siblings as well? I have an older brother. Okay. He's two years older than me. Um, we were always close, even from the time we were little up until high school. Okay. So we um, we moved. Let's see. I was born in Clovis, New Mexico. Then we moved to California. We were there for three years and actually lived on a military base, which was an interesting experience because mm -hmm. living on base is just a whole other life. You, oh yeah, there's sure. A lot of freedom. I mean, I was in kindergarten and walked to school because mm -hmm. it's safe. Right. So um, then moved to San Antonio. We were there for three years. Uh, 
And then after that, my parents retired and we were supposed to go to Germany, but my dad, my grandmother got sick with Alzheimer's disease. And so my parents decided to retire and move back to Greenville, which is my mom's hometown. Okay. So that's where I spent the rest of my childhood and graduated from high school and stuff. So my parents divorced when I was 13, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so then from that point forward, I was raised by my mom and my dad was in New Jersey. My father actually adopted me when I was a year old. So mm-hmm. I'm not half Puerto Rican, Yeah. <laughs> even though I used, to, I used to tell everybody I was because I didn't know that I was adopted. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's yeah. really funny. This little red-headed, fair-skinned child telling everyone that she was half Puerto Rican. Right. My parents just let me do that. I was like, thanks. Thank you for that. Did you so, Did um, you grow up speaking <laughs> Spanish? Yeah, yeah. It was, And my dad said, it's funny, um, he passed away in 2005, but I used to ask him why I was not bilingual. I'm like, why didn't you teach me Spanish? And he's like, he did. He said, I did speak to you in Spanish when you were a kid, and you understood it. Like, I don't remember this. But yeah. he's like, when you were two and three years old, you understood Spanish completely. He said, you didn't speak it, but you knew what I was telling you. Right, right. But I think it's hard when you don't have two bilingual parents Oh, at I'm home. sure, yeah. So it's not spoken. Right. Um, they, you know, didn't speak to each other. So, um, but yeah, I was always like, I had a, you know, Spanish-speaking father, and I didn't reap the benefit of all. You know, right, all right. But that's actually pretty common, I think, especially like you yeah. said, if only one parent's speaking it. Um, okay, so that's kind of interesting to me. I mean, you obviously – you're moving around a lot. Having that military background makes a big difference, I would imagine. How did it make a difference as far as your goals went? It sounds like things were pretty strict. I assume there were like high expectations for you. Very. Yeah. Very high expectations. Um, my parents, even after my parents divorced, it was still, um, ex- you were still expected, you know, like, it's so it's just interesting to me the way I look at my kids and what I expect of them obviously has been has been brought on by what my own parents expectations were for me you know you were expected uh, we had chores you were, they were expected to be done you weren't you know they didn't ask you to do them they either got done or you got in trouble yeah um, my father's rules were you know your room had to be clean if you were even after you played in there the toys had to be picked up. Every morning, your bed had to be made. You did not get back on the bed till it was time to go to bed. Like, right. that was one of the weirdest things for my friends to understand. Like, yeah. if people got on my bed, I would freak out. Like, <laughs> because you were going to have an inspection, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My dad was like, the bed is made. You don't get back on the bed. Yeah. And so, um, that was a weird hang-up for me for a long time. I still don't lay on my bed during the day. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's ingrained in you, yeah. It is, it is. So, um, and then the other thing, and this is one of the things I actually talk to my kids about, especially my oldest one, is my dad instilled in me very just rigidly the idea of, of um, consequences, that every action has a consequence. Yeah. And so my whole life, I can remember him, you know, telling me, you know, if you choose to do this, then this is the consequence. And you have to decide if that consequence is worth it or not. It could be a positive consequence, it could be a negative consequence, but there's always, you know, a consequence. That awareness of it. Yeah, of course. Exactly. And so that's probably has kept me out of a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. especially when I was younger and didn't have a, I didn't have a whole lot of guidance in, at some point in my life. Um, yeah. And so, but the, the, the repetitiveness of that being drilled into me has, has definitely helped me at times go, mm, I probably shouldn't do that because yeah, this right. is going to happen. 
Sure, sure. No, I think that's great. And the fact that you're already talking about that, like you said, with your own kids, you have three boys, correct? I do. Three boys. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I'm um, in a pretty male dominated environment teaching at an all boys school myself. And I do think that you're so right that um, I think it does get overlooked a lot of times. Consequences, um, they're a real thing, (laughs) right? You don't always get a free pass. Um, exactly. Okay, so I'm curious. So, it, you know, as you've explained, you wouldn't define your parents' marriage as something um, to to look up to, right? Like, it's not like you said. Yeah. It, it wasn't, wasn't, I guess, what you wanted. But would you consider them to have been um, role models? Or who else would have been a role model to you? Or your brother um, or who? I think now as an adult, looking back, I can see, I can see positive yeah, of aspects course. of both of them. Yeah. Um, you know, my mom uh, is probably one of the hardest workers I've ever known. She, despite some of her own, her own struggles in life, she, uh, she's just a hard worker. She has an yeah. incredible work ethic. And um, so, yeah, that's, and, and I, you know, my husband tells me, has told me multiple times that I'm the least laziest person he knows. And I think I got that boat from both my parents. My father was very, yeah. very hardworking. Um, and I was, again, that was something that was instilled in me that you don't, you know, things aren't just handed to you. You have to earn them. And so uh, that's something that I definitely appreciate from both of them. Um, I would say I had lots of, especially once I got older in high school, Mm-hmm. Um, I had multiple people within the youth group that I was in. So I actually went, my parents and I went to a Lutheran church, but I didn't go to the youth group at our Lutheran church because it wasn't very big. So I actually sure. went to a non-denominational church for youth group. Okay. So um, while I was at that church, I started, um, they had discipleship. So they would put you, pair you with a leader, a youth leader yeah. in the church. And I would meet with them once a week. And um my discipleship leader, Ruth was her name. She was amazing. She, um, she probably is one of the biggest reasons that I am where I'm at today. Um, simply because she set boundaries for me that I didn't Mm -hmm. know that I needed. (laughs) Um, one of the things that I lacked in my relationship with my mom was healthy boundaries. Um, and so, you know, I got out of high school. When I graduated from high school, I actually moved in with Lee and Ruth. They were in Arkansas. I was in Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in their house, all of a sudden, I had all these rules that I had never had before. Oh, and interesting. Do I? That's interesting because there are very different types of rules, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. easy to say, like, well, I grew up in a military family and we were very structured. and we, But... Mm-hmm. Man, rules are all there's a there's a spectrum but there for sure. Absolutely, and that was one of the things you know. Like for instance, I couldn't go on a date here. I here I was, eighteen, graduated from you know high school, going yeah. to college, and Lee and Ruth sat me down, and they were like, "You cannot go on a date with a guy until we've met them." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> that a little bit of a shock for you. <laughs> yeah, my mom didn't have to meet a guy before I went out with him. That was not a thing. Yeah, um, I had a curfew. I, I didn't have a curfew in high school. Uh, that was weird. I was like, I have to be home at a certain time. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to, uh, 
I had, I was expected to do a quiet time every day. And they asked me, you know, have you done your quiet time? What was your quiet time about? Yeah. Um, they had very established things that they felt were biblical and healthy and um, things that I had never just weren't part of my life. Sure. And so I, I lived with them for a year and that year really molded me into the adult that I was eventually because back. that year, I mean, right after you graduate from high school, that's a big year for anyone, right? Mm-hmm. And um, absolutely, I think certainly you can see it go both ways. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, oh, can, absolutely. it can change a person. Absolutely. Talk about consequences. It can change a person. That's that's for sure. Um, okay, so it sounds like that had a pretty big effect on your life. How did it affect uh, your definition of what success would look like for you? And I do think that success changes. Like, I know as people get older or as they have experiences, I do think that, like, there are things that you start to realize are more meaningful, right? Absolutely. Um, well, growing growing up, I would define, define success as how much you have. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, um, my, my father, who came from a very, very poor background, is very money driven because he had he had been dirt dirt poor you know in Puerto Rico yeah and so he it was one of his why he was driven to be such a hard worker was because he was determined not to be poor and so um, he liked having very nice things and he, he wanted a nice house and nice cars and that was success to him um, and so that was what I was raised with um, as I became a Christian and then was around, um, you know, godly men and women who helped change my point of view, success then to me um, became about my, how is God using me in people's lives? How am I influencing people um, for God's kingdom? Yeah. And so, and that, I don't, the hard part about this, I don't think you can really measure that because only God knows yeah. your effects. Well, I was going to say, I, I find it interesting because to, to a certain extent, I actually do understand this idea behind money and that what you said about your dad, like like seeing that, feeling an, a sense of accomplishment and actually seeing that. I do get that. You can you can see the things you have been able to purchase and right. what you've been able to do. And I, I really, I, I don't dog anyone for wanting that, but you're right. I think for a lot of people, you know, success, it's, it's a little bit of a struggle because the things you start to value more and more, sometimes it can be difficult to tell how you're doing. Right. I, I think it can add to that anxiety sometimes just because you do want to do good. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. It's, it's easy to, I mean, as a, as a, Bo and I have been on both ends of the spectrum. We have been dirt, dirt poor, mm-hmm. and we have been very well off. Yeah. And um, and it is easy when you've reached the point where you financially are not living paycheck to paycheck, and you are able to have you know good savings, and you're able to pay for cash for you know a vehicle or something. You know things that, but a lot of times people will never do either one because they just don't save up, or two they just don't ever have a large sum of money come in that they yeah. can just go, okay, I'm going to pay, you know, I'm going to buy a car with this. Now. Right, right. So um, it is very easy to go, okay, I'm successful now because I've done this. And, um, but the funny thing about all of that is the, as, as, as much as you can look around and see what you have and God has blessed me immensely, that still leaves you empty. There's still something missing in all of that stuff that somehow makes you see 
I think, I think that has, yeah, I think that has to be like a global feeling. Like I do think that for it, it, and it's easy. I understand this is easy for me to say as somebody who has a full-time job and I'm not worried about eating or anything like that, but I do think there's that emptiness that people everywhere feel right. Like this longing for there's something else there. And, um, and maybe there are, there are different steps to success along the way, I guess, but, but I'm with you. Like you, you can get to this point and feel accomplished and there's nothing wrong with that, but certainly you're like left feeling like there's gotta be something else. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. What's, what's next? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, okay. This is something that we talked about on the phone. And I think it's really interesting that you you said it because I do think this happens to a lot of people. You were talking about success as far as being an author, and how you know you made um, you made like a bestseller list. Is it USA Today? Is that correct? Uh-huh. And okay, so you did that, and so now like there's that struggle, right? Of you you've done that once, so yeah. like is that what Why you're? Why can't I do it again? Yeah, is that what you're constantly aiming for? And you've got to. I mean, surely you're looking at like number of book sales, that kind of thing. I mean, you should want to do well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got to be a little bit of a struggle. Like It's you- very frustrating because there's the, there's the part of me that feels I need the validation. Am I a good enough writer? If I'm a good enough writer, why am I not making a list? Why yeah. am I not selling more? Uh, then there's the, the part of my, the part of me that is a Christian that says why I should be satisfied with what God has given me. Um, you know, how many people can say they've made a, a list, you know, as far as book sales go, you know, but they're always, there always is that part of me that goes, but I want to make it again. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to, you know, we, we all have this need for validation in our work. I mean, it's whether it's a, um, simply somebody telling you you've done a good job or you getting a raise or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, like you said, just seeing the accomplishment of the work being done. So, um, I have to remind myself, Every single time I finish a book, hey, you just finished a novel. You wrote a novel. How many people can say they've written a novel? You know what I mean? Right. Um, but there is, there. I mean, there's a, and I don't think it'll ever go away that I, I want to make another list. I want to, yeah. I want to prove to myself that I can do that. No, I, I agree. I think that it's easy for us to, um, to easily become frustrated with not being fully satisfied. But at the end of the day, we're humans, right? And, yeah. and so, like, that's just part of it. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a struggle. So, um, you told me that as an author, and I think this is very telling of who you are. I think this is great. As an author, you want your readers to know who you really are. You know, the person behind the novel, who is it? Because it is easy to have this idea of this is just somebody who's very successful. And it's, it's almost this abstract, vague idea of a person who doesn't have real life issues. And absolutely, we all do. And so you've been pretty open about it. So why don't you just kind of start sharing about things? Okay. Um, so from the beginning, when I started writing, even when I just had, you know, a few followers, I was very open about who I am. I was very open about, you know, at that point I had one child that had been married for 13 years, I think 12 years. Um, and I realized right off the bat that something that people, um, in, in, in the beginning, it was a matter of just that if people like you, they tend to buy your stuff. Yeah. If people like you, they tend to tell other people about you. Um, 
but then I began, I began to realize that people really needed the connection with me. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I'm somebody special, not because, but because I'm just normal because I'm just a human. Yeah. Um, not because I'm an author, not because, but because I have everyday problems and yeah. you know, um, one of my biggest problems and struggles happens to be that I have a mental illness and I was, uh, I was diagnosed when I was 21, uh, with bipolar disorder after two suicide attempts. And, um, most of the time people, especially new, new readers, most of my readers now know this about me because I've talked about it so much, but new readers are shocked usually to find that out. Um, Mm -hmm. because they look at my life now and they think, how could you have ever been at that, you know, point in your life. Right. But part of the reason I'm so open about it is because one, uh, there's a massive stigma around mental health. Uh, there's this huge negative connotation around suicide. Um, you know, as if it's, as if it's that person's fault. Like there's this negative. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, not that, you know, suicide's horrible. Absolutely. But, but you, you can't judge the person when you have no idea what it was they were going through to begin mm-hmm. with. So, um, you're right. And then I think that's, it's one of those words that people whisper, right? Absolutely. Like when you're talking about it, like it's, it's not something we want. It's, it's, you're, right. it's, it's a judgmental. Yes. Topic certainly it absolutely. is absolutely um and I do I'm very very outspoken about it I I believe that um that you know that we were designed for fellowship we were designed to have interaction with people I you know I'm an introvert extrovert meaning that I can be an extrovert when I need to be but people do wear me out they drain me yeah. and so um but because I'm, I'm an introvert, extrovert, I recognize the need for people to have connections with each other. Um, we all have insecurities, big insecurities. Whether we want to fess up to them or not, we are all insecure. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I think is important for my readers is to understand that what the things I put in my book a lot of times are things that either I've struggled with or I've seen somebody else struggle with, and I thought somebody else needs to know that somebody has dealt with that. Yeah. Somebody, you know, they need to know um, – because that's having people turn to reading and turn to even like movies and stuff to find something to relate to. Sometimes it's an escapism, but sometimes it actually is just to know that they're not going through this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I want, I, I want my readers to know that I'm, that I'm just like them. I'm a mom and I'm terrified of screwing my kids up. I'm a wife and I struggle to juggle being an author and a mom and making sure that I'm still being who my husband needs me to be. And, um, you know, all those things, it's not, it's like we, we talked about this, you know, Facebook makes you look picture perfect, but all of those little snapshot, cute, you know, photos of my kids looking great. (laughs) Didn't show the moment beforehand where I was screaming at them to stand still and smile. Of course. So, you know, I think it's really important that people understand my life's not peachy keen. You know, I struggle every day. Right. And you have this platform. I mean, you have a lot of followers and you have to recognize um, because you are really open about your life and you have to recognize that having that platform like gives you the opportunity to share. Because I do think that like personally, and this is going to sound really awful, but I love hearing when other people's lives are screwed up, right? You know? Like, it's so refreshing to be like, oh, thank goodness. Like, I'm with you. Finally. 
because it is, I mean, it is really weird. I was talking about this with someone recently, this idea of like, okay, as human beings, we all recognize that no one is perfect. We know that, but somehow still, it doesn't matter with logic you still somehow see people and just think like, no, I really do think it's perfect. Even though we know yeah. that's impossible, it's it's there. Like you really believe that. Absolutely. I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know what it is in our brain that wants to, to tag people that way, but we automatically assume that they have it better than we do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, naturally, of course, that we're the only ones that have ever gone through anything too, right? But it is it is really great that you're using this opportunity because there are going to be people who, um, who like hear what you have to share and they're thinking, I don't know anybody else that's gone through this before, which I think is great. And it's not necessarily that they don't, it's that they don't know anyone who's been willing to talk about it, right? Like, right. that's probably a big thing too, so. Absolutely. Um, okay, so you've been really open about just, I'm going to say disappointment, and it's even more than the word disappointment. How have you shared this specifically? I mean, you said that you've used some of these examples in your book. I mean, have you talked about it with people? I know that you said like you you have all of these um, followers, like I, on social media, I'm guessing. Like, how have you used that? So typically... Um in the past, before before Facebook Live became a thing, you know, video was the biggest thing. So I, I've done, I did videos about uh, suicide prevention for the month of, you know, suicide uh, awareness and that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, one of the things, it was very organic, to be honest. It started out very organic, where people would literally just reach out to me and, and mm -hmm. say, you know, I read your book and you know, this really resonated with me and, you know, why did you write this? Why did you put this in your book? And then that, that gives me the opportunity to say, well, you know, I, you know, I've gone through this or, okay. or somebody I know went through this and it really resonated with me of how it affected them so greatly. So I wanted to put it in a book because I figured there's other people who are dealing with this. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for the bipolar disorder, I literally wrote a book about a girl with bipolar disorder. And, uh, at the end of the book, I put in there that, you know, um, that I had bipolar disorder, that I lived with it, that the book itself had parts of my life in it. Right. It's, so it was semi-autobiographical. Um, but through, I, it's been almost a natural progression that people have reached out to me. And I think some of that is because of the, the style of my writing. Mm -hmm. uh, once people talk to me or meet with me or we do live Facebook now, people can go can say, oh, well, I hear your voice in your writing. Because I write a lot like I am. It right. just comes out in my characters. So, um, but I think, you know, the most now I just do, I do a lot of Facebook live and I let my readers ask me questions and I'm, you know, I'm pretty much telling them, you know, the, the few things that are off limits are, um, I don't discuss how my bipolar stuff and what I went through, how that affected Bo, because that's his business and that's, that's, he's a very private person. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, you know, I, that's, that's a no-go. Right. Um, I'm happy to discuss how it affected me and how it affected me as a young wife. When we were very, very young when all this happened, how it changed my perspective of, of um, my relationship, especially in the beginning, how I viewed my relationship with Bo. Um, but there, and, and then, I mean, other than that, there's pretty much, and a political, 
I don't do political. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty, I'm pretty open to anything and I let them ask me whatever they want. Um, yeah. and so that makes a huge, when you make yourself accessible, I guess you could say, you know, oh, yeah. they have emailed to me, they can Facebook message me. Mm-hmm. Um, they can write me letters. I write them back. So I'm very accessible. I guess you could say. No, I think that's great because I do think that, um, there are a lot of people that we see like, you know, I don't even want to say like celebrities because it could really just be like somebody that is just influential, I guess. But, um, you know, sometimes you do see something and you think, oh, wow, like I can relate to that. That's great. But you don't really have that connection with them. Right. I mean, it's not like you're really talking. So I, I think that word accessible. I mean, that's it says a lot because that does make a difference when you mm-hmm. when you can. I mean, you can resonate with something and relate to someone, but you never really actually have that discussion, that conversation. So that's great. Um, so let me ask, like, how has, when I say, how has this helped to shape you? Like, obviously you became an author. So that was a big thing. But how do you feel like, um, you know, how do you feel like going through all of this? How has it, how has it changed you? Um, I can say that it's given me, I'm immensely grateful to be alive, number one, because yeah. uh, the second time I overdosed, the doctor told me I shouldn't be alive. Yeah. Um, so the fact that I'm here, and, and I think back to that, and I think what all, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have got, I'd be dead. So right. uh, there, would be no, there would be no children. There would be no uh, mm-hmm. anything that I have. So I'm extremely, it's made me very aware of what I have. Yeah. Um, it has, you know, I I went through years of, of counseling. You know, the, the term psychotherapy is the technical term. People hate that term because it sounds like crazy, but that's what it is. It's psychotherapy. It's, it's dealing with your own psyche and learning how to cope in stressful situations and learning how to have healthy boundaries. You know, going through bipolar disorder, I don't know if I'd ever had the diagnosis because I think everybody should go through therapy at least once in their lives. I think everybody can benefit from talking about the struggles that they've at some point been through. Right. So um, that changed, probably having therapy and going through therapy changed, um, just um, it changed my outlook and my attitude towards my marriage. It changed my outlook and my attitude towards my relationship with my own self and God. Mm-hmm. I've learned to love myself, you know. Um, that's when you go through, huge, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a when big you go thing. Through, when you go through a mental illness, it's easy, and you. a lot of people, I know I did, I hated who I was because I didn't understand why I was doing the things I was doing. Um, and then after, even after you know what it is, you still are disgusted with yourself. Yeah. And so I had to come to a place to accept that, one, I, I have this disease. I'm going to have this disease for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I did some stupid things. I did some very literally crazy things mm-hmm. and um but god still loves me and that doesn't he his my worth didn't somehow diminish because of that right and so um i've come to really like who i am and um i don't know i don't know if the bipolar <laughs> necessarily is, is a this is the cause and effect mm-hmm. but maybe because of everything that i've gone through with it has, has that that's been the, the the effect of it um I'm, 
I think I'm uh, much more sensitive to um, the Holy Spirit's moving in my life and the, the desire to be close to God because I um, have experienced, and this may sound really weird to people, but I experienced um, a true supernatural battle warfare, spiritual mm -hmm. warfare in my life when I was sick. And, um, and that has made me very mindful of the fact that uh, there is true evil in the world. And um, yeah, and, so. and you, I think you're really like hit the nail on the head kind of saying too that you're, you're aware of what went on and you're also open that it doesn't end. Like this isn't something that it's easy to say like, okay, well, I, I, I did therapy. I'm great now. Like everything's good and it's all fine. And like, it, that's not how the, the world works. And you're right. Like evil is there and yeah. it's not like, okay, well check. It's good. We're, right. all, we're all fine now. Nothing, nothing's going to happen again. Like that's part of this struggle, right? Is like continuing yeah. to learn how to deal with this and to know that you're not always going to be feeling great. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I, I actually went back into therapy this, uh, about two months ago mm -hmm. um, because I just need a it's like a refresher course it's like a reminder of the coping mechanisms and the mm -hmm. dealing well and for me you know you have new stress and now you have children you have a teenager and um, you know you're you've added you've, you've gone from just trying to keep babies alive to now you're trying to keep teenagers alive <laughs> mostly keep yourself from killing them but right right know, yeah it's, it's just a new season and uh, for me, though, the, the other thing, and, and sometimes I actually, and I, I will say this, I sometimes have to remind myself and I have to remind Bo that despite the fact, despite the fact that I'm medicated, despite the fact that I take care of myself and I see a psychiatrist, I still have bipolar disorder and it's still, um, it does, it, it, it's not, what's the word? it still affects my life, yeah. you know, it doesn't go away. Yeah. And so I have to, there are days that I have to go, I have a mental health illness and I have to give myself some grace. Yeah. Um, and I so. think it's, I think it's also worth noting that you have a support system and, yeah, and I'm sure that you have heard from lots of people who don't. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't imagine what that has to be like because I mean, stigma alone, but just truly trying to help someone. I mean, you know, um, Absolutely. so gosh, I think just talking about it at least shows like, right. Like yeah. <laughs> you want to help people. I mean, yeah. Well, you and you have to, I mean, one of the things I talk about in call me crazy, which is the book that's, um, that's about the bipolar role. The, mm -hmm. the, one of the massive things I talk about there is that you have to find a support system. Um, whether you go to a, uh, even if you go to a, a group that's an AA group or a mm -hmm. um, recovery group, it doesn't have to necessarily be a mental health group, but you need a support right. system. Um, you know, if it's, if, it, if, if you're just totally against churches and you're like, no, I'm not going to a church, then find another way to find a support system um, and a healthy support system. Sure. Um, because there's other types of support systems that aren't healthy. Absolutely. Um, so you have to, you know, I firmly, God strategically placed people in my life. I can look back and I can see exactly moments where he put people in my life um, when he knew I needed them. Mm -hmm. And it's 
it's remarkable, honestly, to be able to, to, to go backwards in hindsight and see um, how that how that all played out and how if I had been at the wrong place at just one moment sooner, then it could have been bad. Yeah. You know? And also recognizing, and I, I hope that you've kind of gotten to this point, but recognizing too that, that we're also those people that help other people, right? Like sometimes we forget. Yeah that we also make a difference in other people's lives, which is like, you know, you're talking about recognizing your own worth, your own value. I mean, and it's not because we came up with some really wonderful stellar, you know, words of wisdom to share, but like you might just literally be the person, the support that somebody needs for sure. So, okay. So um, what do you think that your future looks like? And Obviously, there's different areas, right? Like you talked about you're your raising kids. I mean, that's going to change um, as they get older. So like being an author, how does that play into it? It's got to be a struggle thinking about as your kids get older to like, how do you continue to write? Do you ever worry about I'm going to come up with more you know, stresses for you? Do you worry, though, about like continuing to write, coming up with more novels? This is like one of my great pastimes is like, let me worry for you. <laughs> But there has to be, you've got a lot going on. I mean, there has to be this point where you're like, I'm doing really well, but also what if I'm not always doing right? well? Right, Um. Well, uh, you know, the, I always joke that I'll never not work because no. anybody who lives as an artist understands that that income is very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously we... Bo has done that because he's my he's my steady stable personality. So he has set up as a retirement and all of that good stuff. But um, I think writing is so much a part of who I am. It's a, so much a part of how I cope. Um, I've I have kept a journal and a diary for as long as I can remember. For as long as I can write, there's mm-hmm. that is how I have expressed myself. I'm a very I'm not a verbal communicator. I mean, yes, I can talk for hours on end, but the the way I express myself best is through the written word. So writing, I think, will always be a part of my life. It has changed um, how how and when it happens has has molded and changed over the past eight years. When I just had Travis and he was four, and he was a remarkably remarkably self sufficient four year old, yeah. I had a lot of time to write. Mm-hmm. So, but then we had what we call the twins come along. My two middle boys who were only 10 months apart yeah. and my writing schedule was obviously massively oh, changed. Yeah, so, <laughs> I think so. So I, I literally wrote when I was awake enough to write, you know, that was, uh-huh. you know, it's just kind of how it went. Um, now they're all in school. And so I actually have like a work day, um, that I can plan out, um, Probably the hardest part where we where we're adjusting now is that all of the boys are in activities now. Mm-hmm. So now our weeknights are filling up with somebody has to be here and somebody has to be there, and um, that's sure. hard for me simply because nighttime is usually when I'm able to kind of unwind and mm-hmm. kind of recoup because I think one of the things people don't understand or not necessarily understand, but they don't know about authors or at least my experience, some of the authors I know is that. Writing is emotionally exhausting for me, yeah. um, mostly because I pour everything into, like this last book I put out, I cried through 75% of the book, and I, I look like a mess after every right. writing session. Right. So, um, you know, it's very, it's a very exhausting job, which sounds so silly, but it is. Um, 
But I, you know, I think I try to, like you said, I try to remember that, um, that one, if, if my, if I'm supposed to be doing something different, I just trust that God's going to direct me. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm at some, any point not supposed to be writing, then he's going to close the door and hopefully I will be accepting of that. Um, but you know, the funny thing is too, is, and this is something that Bo and I've talked about is that writing is, is my job, but it's not my life. Yeah. You know, so if it, it doesn't come before my family, it doesn't come before my boys. Um, it's what I do. And it is a large part of who I am, but it is, uh, it's also, it's also in a sense, this can sound weird too. It's also a gift from God. So it's not really mine either. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Sure. Um, so, um, well, it's a, it's a, like a talent that you have that, that you're using to help others. Um, that's one of the, one of the interviews I did, we talked a lot about that, about like, well, what success looks like and that we're all given these gifts and they are all over the place, right? Like it's right. a variety of things. And, um, I think that there's a point where like, as, as humans, um, when we have these gifts, like you're really not satisfied, um, if you're not using them to help others. Right. Right. So I can I see, I can see that where, and it's gotta be, it's gotta be difficult because like you said, you're talking about things that are very personal. So it's a very personal thing, but it's also what you do for a living too. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fine, it's a fine line. We, I talked to, I was at a youth group meeting tonight and somebody was asking me about it. And, you know, I said that they said, well, don't you love getting to do something you love? And I said, yeah, but it's still a job because mm-hmm. there's still the stress of mm-hmm. I have to get a book written and it has to do well so we can make money to pay the bills. And so as much as I do love it, it is it is also it's a large source of stress for me because it's what we live on. So which I think is important to share because. Again, it's really easy to say, you know, you should do what you love and share the gifts you have and make it sound like, and then you will feel so wonderful and everything will be so perfect. And you'll just like, no, Um, (laughs) like you might actually get more frustrated by it. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, and the funny thing is, is when I started writing, it was because I just wanted to write a book. Right. But then then God said, nope, I got another plan for you. Yeah, you're going to write, and you're going to write werewolf books, but they're going to serve a purpose, which my husband thinks is hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah. He's like, they're werewolf novels. And I'm like, but uh-huh. God is using them. Yeah. So um, you, and even when you do use your gift, it's not always necessarily the way you think that it's going to happen. God, God's definitely going to direct it, but it does. Just because you're doing what God has planned for you to do, which I firmly believe I'm exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, it is not easy. It's not. It's kind of like. It's kind of like people say, "Well, if you marry the right person, then it's going to be easy." No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. No, you're so right, though, that it, it is. There's like this really ridiculous theory, I think, that says like if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then things will just feel so easy. Like I've right? heard that before and I'm like, no, <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> it sounds pretty. It sounds pretty. It does. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the, it's like the whole follow your heart. It sounds beautiful. Right. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big freaking lie. And you and I talked about this. Speaking of that, we talked about this on the phone and I think this is really important. Um, 
and just somebody who's who's around like teenagers all the time, I see this is, you know, we, we say that follow your heart. Okay. So sometimes what we want are personal desires, right? They're not God's desires and they're not what it's supposed to be. And like, I have struggled with that. Um, that's an understatement to say like what I want to do and what I felt was like what I knew I was supposed to do. Right. And, um, and that's, Sometimes, man, you need like a slap in the face or something. I don't know, a wake up call to say like, just because this is what you've always wanted to do. And you know what? Like you might even work hard at it. It does not mean that's what's supposed to happen. Absolutely. I mean, and I think sometimes we get the slap in the face and we miss it completely. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. But I I heard somebody say, and I thought this was really... um, this was like a a good example. Like you might really, really want to be in the NFL one day and you might work so hard and physically train for it. And guess what? You don't go. And you know what? You become a firefighter. And because you physically trained for that, right, you're going to do something so wonderful and so good. And I heard that and I was like, oh, that's pretty accurate. Like it's, it is good to be reminded that like, you know, we should have goals. We should work towards things for sure, but it doesn't always work out the way we want. And like, we have to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I have, a good, I have a perfect example of that. So, you know, my husband went to school for years and became a lawyer mm-hmm. and he hated it. He thought, I mean, he had always wanted to be a lawyer since he was a kid. Yeah. And once he was, once he was there doing it, he, he hated it. And so he, uh, now does not practice law. Um, but, after all that work, his law background for my career yeah. is remarkable. I mean, it's invaluable to us. Um, one, he, we don't, you know, nobody can pull a fast one off on us on a contract because Bo right. speaks legalese. So, <laughs> I mean, I look at a contract and I'm like, this is really kind of gibberish to me. Why can't they just yeah. write it in English? Right, right. And he exactly. can look at a con- you know, he can look at a contract and he's like, nope, 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 changing that. And I'm like, that would cost me four or five hundred dollars to hire a lawyer to read a contract. And it's like so, never in a million years would either of you have thought, oh, this is no. a way that he's <laughs> going to use that for sure. So I think that's great because I certainly hate the idea of teaching, especially like children, teaching them this this idea, this concept of like, okay, so what do you want to do? Like, what is it that you really want? Okay, well, if you work hard, then guess what? It's going to happen because like right. that's just such a a false sense of I don't know, like arrogance, maybe that like we get to decide what's going to happen to us. We've already decided it. We're going to work for it. It's going to happen. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah, that's not how life works. I mean, I think it's absolutely, you know, we we are trying to instill a a very strong work work ethic in our children simply because no matter what you do, whether it's what you're you want to do, whether it's what you wind up doing, what God has planned for you, and it's not what you want to do, because even though even though we might be doing what God has called us to, it may not be what we want to do, but because we're following God's calling, we're doing it. Whatever it is, you should be working hard at it. And, and you know, one of the things I tell, I've told Travis is, you know, sometimes working hard sucks. Okay. Mm -hmm. A lot of times working hard sucks, Yeah. but there's more benefit to it than just whatever gain that is, whether it's monetary, whether it's, Mm -hmm. whether it's a product, 
what you gain from that is, is the one that the self-satisfaction of knowing you've worked really hard and that mm-hmm. feels good. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's knowing that you've, if you've been working hard and you've been doing it with the right heart, you, you've pleased God. And those two things to me, um, they outweigh all of the crap. Of, yeah. of it changes. It changes your attitude, certainly. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's you know even even as a even if you're not a Christian, let's take that that out for a minute. Just knowing that you've done your best, and and even if it wasn't again, there are things Travis hates to do because he's the thirteen year old. <laughs> but you know, I'm like, don't you feel good when you clean the bathroom and you can step back and go, wow, that looks awesome. Yeah. I did that. Right. Like, that's a great feeling. Maybe a little self-centered, but hey. <laughs> no, but it's but it's true. And recognizing that you don't necessarily get like applause for it, right? Right. right. Like, like you did it though. So great job. <laughs> I think we're on the same page. I think a lot of people are too. All right. Well, um, thank you so much, Quinn, for doing this. I really appreciate it. This to me is an incredible story because a, I think it shows that, I mean, you you admittedly are a hard, hard worker and you ended up doing something that you never planned on doing. And it's and it's also like it's still evolving, like it's still changing. Yeah. Right. Like and I also appreciate you're just so honest and not everybody's going to be comfortable being that way. Um, yes. But I do think if you're not, it's meaningful to know that there are people who are and that you should reach out to them. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Use that Absolutely. Line. Well, I appreciate you having me. I'm very honored. Yeah, this this was great. Um, so hopefully we see you on another bestseller list. Um, <laughs> and then and then we'll know that you're just thinking about wanting to, to continue to be on it, right? right? Like it's the never ending. Like, like, I'm gonna text you like, <laughs> never ending cycle though. I, I kind of get that. Shoot, it's like winning, I guess it's like winning the lottery and then buying more lottery tickets after right? that or something. <laughs> you it did is. it. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Okay, Bethany. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. See ya.